The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawkbox, here are your headlines today. The Dow drops almost 400 points to post its worst day since March, while the U.S. 10-year yield holds around its highest level since 2007, after weaker-than-expected data. The U.S. competition watchdog announces a landmark lawsuit against Amazon, accusing the e-commerce giant of using monopoly power to inflate prices, hobble competition and exploit vendors. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the FTC Chair Lena Khan at 14.30 CET. Well, elsewhere, the prospect of a government shutdown looming large as the Senate moves forward with a bipartisan funding bill. But Republicans, some Republicans, persist with a conflicting measure in the House. The Senate has not passed one appropriation bill. I don't know how many in the press stand and ask Schumer what he's going to do. The House has continued to do their job. We cannot sit back and look at the border of where it is today. U.S. leader Joe Biden becomes the first sitting president to appear on a picket line as he lends his support to auto workers striking in Detroit. You deserve the significant raise you need and other benefits. Let's get it! A fifth negative session out of six for the major market stateside. And what we've got is still elevation, that 10-year yield. Markets are looking at the potential for a government shutdown at this point. That borrowing cost may remain higher for longer. And uh, investors uh, just looking at the summary of the conditions in the backdrop for the U.S. markets. So downbeat was the session uh, playbook, down by just over 1% on most of these boards. Uh, a little bit more, 1.6% on the Nasdaq as we rounded out that trade. A big moving names to the downside. It was my Microsoft in the mix and typically one of the stocks we do see moving with the direction of the market. Apple as well to the downside for the S&P 500 and for the Nasdaq. So tech, tech playing a little bit of a, a role here. And don't forget there's this Amazon investigation by the FTC. That was a big negative for the tech sector. So the market getting uh, some uh, fresh clues from that uh, story. In terms of what uh, the Treasury markets are doing, let's just take stock again of that 10-year. 4.52, I mean, we escalated to 4.55. We haven't come too far off that mark of this stage so we remain elevated at this point and the five years still marching above that five percent mark to the dollar the elevated yield story has been supportive of dollar trades and we've seen other casualties across the world as a result and just starting with sterling it was uh, very much flagged up yesterday the declines were seen very very steep for the trading month in fact uh, one of the worst trades we've had since the mini budget in terms of monthly performance for the pound so we're 121.44 this morning slipping another tenth of a percent uh, in terms of euro dollar in that context also reversing and it's now 105 and a half roughly the level so it's given up the 106 range and further dropping dollar yen rates i think the market again closely watching for any intervention here 149 the level dollar yen rates and dollar yuan we are seeing uh, slightly on the back foot this morning in terms of wti and brent 
Oil started out as a, a headline threat at the beginning of this week. We saw a little bit of cooling off in the trade uh, a day or two earlier. And what we've got now, another slight pop and closing the gap to the 95 handle on Brent. And we're just shy of that with that 1% build up this morning. Also strong ranges too on WTI as we see a bounce above $91. So uh, a trade that a uh, day or so earlier was back below the 90 handle now regrouping and now above 91 on WTI. To the Asian markets, and this is how we're looking across the region. Again, lurking concerns around Evergrande and what that means for the broader property developers across in the Chinese market. But uh, we've got at least a slight increase today. Industrial profits are closely watched out of the Chinese market. Still downbeat, but better than the last read. Six tens up on the Hong Kong market, a third up on Shanghai, offset by Reading uh, as we pick up on that US trade for Japanese and Australian stocks today, Steve. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good, good. And very well indeed. I do want to go through some of this other data, though, as well, because I've got a horrible feeling when, when the market's been looking at some Disney-fied version of Goldilocks or fairy tales about the market, what they should have been looking at is the Brothers Grimm instead, which not so happy endings. But I'll come to that in a few moments' time, because the new S, new home sales fell to their slowest pace since March down 8.7% last month. Mortgage rates took a sharp move higher during August. Of course, you all know that. Uh, whilst the median price of a newly built home dipped to $430,300. Meanwhile, and I think this is actually a pivotal piece of data, US consumer confidence fell again in September to 103 from 108.7 in August. Uh, that is lower than forecast and comes as expectations index. This is the one, the expectations index tumbled to 73.7. Why do I care about that? Because it is below the level that observers historically say has got a very good indicator, a very good marker of creating, um, or, or basically being a good marker for recessions. So the levels below 80 are consistent with recessions within the next year. And I mentioned Disney versus Brothers Grimm, and this is nothing against Bob Iger's company. I'm talking about the Disney-fied version of it. We talk about gold, oh, it's great. We've got interest rates have peaked, yay. We're not gonna have a recession, yay. The US consumer is really weathering the storms, yay. US markets can push on from here. Their valuations aren't extensive. But, but, but actually, in the real world, actually, things are tough for the US consumer. There is evidence upon evidence, the stuff that you and I have been reading from various copy, that it's getting really tough for the median US consumer, not this mythical average US consumer who also uh, embodies that the top 20% has still got lots of money as well. Housing is becoming tough for a lot of them as well. Mortgage costs are beginning to bite. Rental costs are beginning to bite. The savings have gone in between 60 and 80% of cases as well. Rates are also set to remain higher for longer and possibly even going up. That is a toxic mix for many, many people out there. Yeah, I just wanted to get to some of the performances we've seen yeah. over the market as a result. We've had this real headline story around the yield escalating for various different reasons. Over the month, we've been talking about uh, the financing costs for the United States and whether that justifies a, a reset now with the amount of issuance coming to markets, whether you have to have a high yield as a consequence of that. The amount of bets by hedge funds in the Treasury market, I think some are looking at that, whether we had a dress rehearsal in the gilt market and whether it could be so something much bigger for a $25 trillion market. So I think that that is lurking the backdrop and of course the government shutdown in the states not helping as there's already been a whole host of fears anyway when it comes to the market action there weren't many places to hide in equity markets over the course 
of the month of September. Um, the, one of the better markets, really, the UK market, thanks to that commodity story. And I think there is a view out in the markets, uh, late stage cycle sometimes, oil is, is a trade to have. The UK market only down about 2.2% for the month versus much um, stepped up selling, about 4% down the DAX and just three odd percent on the DAX. There's Dow. a very big but about that UK story, if I may say. Mm. And that is, uh, if you haven't hedged your currency, you have lost a lot more money because, of course, the pound has gone from 127, 128 to uh, 121 handle. So I, I hear what you're saying, but if you haven't got a, if you're an international investor and you're not currency hedged, then you have lost quite a significant amount on the, on the pound as well. Yeah, I mean, who's not hedging the currency at this point? I mean, it's been a very strong trade, hasn't it? In terms of the fluctuations we've seen in this day and age versus what we had, say, a year and a half ago, where there sure. used to be not much volatility in um, the trade. I just want to pick up on something you mentioned just there, and, and I, I completely concur, by the way. And it, there was a, it's a very good piece in the Wall Street Journal. I, I think it was very good because it almost picked up the baton with something I was talking about. Yeah, I was talking about this mythical petwalking.com and their, and their financing costs. Well, interesting, there's a great piece, and it, and it is a complete coincidence, by uh, Eric Wallerstein in the Wall Street Journal talking about rising loan costs are hurting riskier companies and talking about this leverage loan market mm -hmm. uh, and he starts off the whole article with uh, Petco which which is pet food rather than yes. pet walking but I thought it was very interesting that we were both going down the animal route as well and just just it was a brief example of something that's a much bigger phenomenon that originally when they took out a 1.7 billion dollar loan two years ago the interest rate was three and a half percent now you know, are we going to skirt recession or not? The interest rate now, though, regardless of what we do on the recession front, is nearly 9%. I was going to say high single digits for anyone, really, in the mix, right? Well, certainly for the, certainly for the, 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 the riskier end of the market and, and the leveraged loan market. And that's just one company yeah. amongst tens of thousands who have to refinance now and in the coming year as well. And it just shows another bit of pressure and why you and I were talking about delinquency rates picking up as well uh, across Europe and across the United States. Can I add another theme in here? And, and I think this was one that the market had sort of parked to the other side. We're going to talk more about it. But the tech threat, you know, regulation looked like it was not having the upper hand in recent months. It looked as though there had been effectively a win for big tech versus the regulators. That came unstuck yesterday. Absolutely. And, and it's almost as if our tech correspondent has arrived on set a bit early. How are you? Nice. You're early for once. No, made it. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Steve. How are you? Oh, my goodness me. There are so many stories. Your life never gets dull, does it? It never does. It never gets dull. Never. And that's despite your massive building program at home. <laughs> but we won't talk about that on air because it's private. Uh, on a programming note, our US colleagues will be speaking with the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari today. You can catch that interview at 2 p.m. Central European time. Well, CNBC's Delivering Alpha Summit is just around the corner. You can join top investors and leaders on the 28th of September in New York for insight, analysis and ideas to help you balance risk with maximising returns. We've got the QR code for you. You can scan this on your screen now. I'm going to see if it works. Or you can visit uh, CNBC. Oh, we haven't Nets. got it no, yet. you can't screen this on your... <laughs> <laughs> you can't just scan this now. I'm going to try <laughs> like it for the first time and then Roger's going, no, 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 we haven't got that one now. Like oh, it's been there every day, Roger. Where has he gone? We'll, we'll, tr we'll try again later. Oh, no, he's blaming graphics. Oh, don't do that on air. Anyway, the US Federal Trade Commission, alongside attorneys from 17 states, is suing Amazon. They're alleging that the e-commerce giant is illegally maintaining monopoly power. In a statement, regulators say Amazon is stifling competition and urging its position or using its position to inflate prices. In a statement, Amazon's general counsel, David Sapolsky, pushed back against the claims. 
arguing the tech giant's practices helped to spur competition and innovation in the retail industry. Arjun, I felt like some of this looked familiar, no wonder, because it's been in the backdrop with the Attorneys General for a while now, but the FTC picking up on this. I mentioned at the start, look, this is different for tech. We know that there's been a whole series of wins for tech versus regulators. This suggests that the FTC is not giving up. No, certainly not. We, the big case, obviously, recently, Microsoft Activision, where the FTC was on the losing side there as well. And so clearly this is a big case personally, I think, for Lena Khan. There's that famous essay she wrote in 2017, particularly about Amazon uh, and its business practices called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox, arguing effectively that the framework of antitrust at the moment didn't really capture Amazon's real dominance. And you've seen that manifest itself, I think, here in this uh, antitrust filing. There's two key parts, I think, that the FTC is alleging. And some of it sounds like it's out of a spy novel. One really is around Amazon anti-discount strategy. They allege stifles competition. They say, quote, there's a price surveillance group within Amazon that trawls the internet uh, for prices and punishes those marketplace sellers, those selling on Amazon's so marketplace, have, who are selling at a lower price. Amazon, which yeah. a lot of retailers do. But you're selling it cheaper elsewhere. And you sell it cheaper, you are relegated. Allegedly. So it's hard, yes, absolutely, it's all yeah. allegations. Yeah. It is harder to find your offering, despite it being more competitive, if indeed you've offered it cheaper elsewhere. Amazon punish you for that. That is the allegation. Yeah, that's correct. And, and the FTC alleging that Amazon deters rivals from even trying to compete with its first party products through some of these behaviors. So that's one part of, of the puzzle. The second here is the FTC alleging that Amazon maintains its monopoly by effectively coercing sellers on its platform to use its fulfillment service. So that's its delivery service, its warehousing, et cetera, et cetera. And this all stems around Prime, Amazon Prime, the subscription service where you can get same day or next day delivery. And that's important for sellers. If you appear uh, as Prime eligible, you know, consumers are more likely to buy that product because it comes quicker, it doesn't include those delivery fees, uh, and those are attractive yeah. things. And, and if you're not Prime eligible, then you may be losing out in sales. And Amazon conditions that eligibility, FTC alleges, by telling mer merchants to use its fulfillment service. So the FTC trying to paint this picture here, really, as this giant that has its sort of fingers and, and tentacles everywhere in every part from logistics to pricing to product and it's impossible for others to compete. You're trapped at every turn. From a customer point of view, I mean, I felt the, the same this week. I had an issue. There was really nowhere to complain. Amazon uh, you know, had a parcel that went missing. Amazon goes, well, check who your carrier is. So you click on all the things and you check who the carrier is. The carrier is Amazon. Oh, I mean, come on, you know, come on. So, you might as well tell the viewer there was a really happy ending to this yesterday. Well, <laughs> so, so basically the onus is on you to go and track down your parcel and try and find it. And, you know, living in a busy area in London. Well, you have like hundreds of different houses you could potentially go and knock on. Luckily, the neighbor came and knocked on my door and handed oh. the parcel over. But the problem was that for a moment I thought, well, I'm so dissatisfied as a customer, I might switch off the account. But they thought, well, what else am I going to use? There isn't really an alternative. And I think that's the problem. Think, not not really. Not, not if you want things quickly and you just can't you know, hop out of the home and go and pick up it, things on a high street quickly. It's default search. Where, where you'd search on Google previously for a product. Or, or Bing or other. Or, or Bing or, or whatever. We can talk about the cases yeah. against Google okay. in a few yeah. time. Of course. There's a lot of this going on at the moment. Where you, where you would go on a search engine to look for products, Amazon has almost become the default search engine for Absolutely. shopping. Absolutely. It's particularly and the younger consumers too. Uh, exactly. Because of the prime. But then, you know, of course, on the flip side, Amazon argues, well, that's our innovation. That's what we've been managed to build. This is where we're so okay. good. We okay, can do so that. That's the flip back. side of Let, it. Let's look at this. Uh, you mentioned Google. And now we also know concurrently that Jonathan Kantner, 
who is the head of the DOJ's antitrust unit, uh, has sued Google over dominance in digital advertising. A trial is ongoing in another DOJ case accusing the company of monopolizing internet search. FTC is also fighting to force Meta to unwind its acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp as well. The long talked about regulatory assault, and we talked about it in very loose terms for many years yeah. on big tech. I, 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 there's two ways I want to go on this. One, does this look like it's got more teeth now? And two, does this have ramifications for what investors have always just put at the back of their mind because they've loved the growth story, that actually these top seven stocks are now finding themselves under enormous pressure that they've never faced before? Yeah, I think for this Amazon case, it's going to be key. It's going to be really, really key. And, and you know, I'm no legal expert, so we'll have to see how this plays out in the courts and, and, and as it stands. But clearly, the, the theme through all of these cases is big tech is too big and they can basically buy and do anything they want. That is the underlying theme here. And acquisitions are under scrutiny. Um, the practices are under scrutiny because of the size. Now, of course, I think each case will be taken on its merit. When you look at search, for example, Google may argue, well, look, we've got, we've got Bing now. Microsoft, OpenAI, they're really sort of eating our lunch at this point. And, you know, AI could be a game changer mm. for, for many of these industries that have been perhaps the highest market share player in what they do. Here, of course, Amazon uh, will argue that, uh, well, you know, our, what we've done, what we've built has helped innovation. It's helped small sellers to sell products. And so each case is going to be taken on its merit, but the regulatory assault is on, and I, I think acquisitions in particular will continue to be scrutinised heavily. Just a point on the legalities, I gather first up, decide whether Amazon did anything wrong. If it did, then we get to the next point of do we start talking about a breakup or some sort of impact on the structure of the divisions. Number three, politics. We're coming up to a, an election cycle here. In the past, we've spoken about the fact there hasn't been a lot of appetite to push back against big tech. Uh, there have been huge donors in the election cycle. Will this time be any different? What could be different this time around is that people are feeling the pressure. The cost of products actually matters now. People don't have pent-up savings. The cost of everything is more expensive. People want the best prices. And if they are predominantly shopping on Amazon, they think they are seeing as a result higher prices. It could become an issue. Let me just put this in context as well. The, for those viewers who say, this won't happen, these guys are too big, the, the DOJ, the FTC, they will back down as well. There was a case where there was predatory pricing, uh, unethical practices, colluding to eliminate competitors in order to monopolise an industry. That case saw its um, judgment in 1911. And this was the breakup of Standard Oil, which led to the downfall of the Rockefeller empire as one unit as well. And actually, I think it was split up, uh, Standard Oil, into 43 different companies. I, all I'm saying is that with the right momentum, legally and politically, there is precedence. And again, I'm not comparing Standard Oil to these companies. I'm not saying that they've done anything similar. And I know there's only allegations against these companies at the moment. For, but for any of our viewers who don't look at history, have a look at what happened to the Rockefeller empire and how it was split up. Uh, and there are other great examples in history. I'm just saying, we've had behemoths before, uh, and the legal authorities, with momentum, have taken them down before. That was 1911, if anyone wants to have a look at that one. Yeah. Arjun, thank you very much uh, for setting that out for us. Our US colleagues will be speaking to the FTC chair, Lena Khan, later on today. Tune in for that interview at 14.30 CET. Coming up on the show, tentative signs of a rebound in the Chinese economy. As industrial profits soar more than 17%, we'll discuss... 
Plus, it's crunch time for Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney as she gets ready to unveil the country's new budget. We'll have more on that later this hour. And later on in the show, we'll be joined by EBRD's chief economist, Beata Yavorcik, as its new report says the Central Asia and Turkey regions will benefit from strong trade growth this year. Find out why, 8.15 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. has reportedly put Evergrande founder Hui Ka Yan under police control. That's according to Bloomberg, which says the billionaire is under residential surveillance. Shares in the embattled property developer swung from heavy losses to strong gains in early Wednesday trade. That despite growing concern over its ability to pay its debts. Some of the firm's offshore creditors reportedly plan to join a liquidation court petition against the company if it does not submit a new debt plan by October. China's central bank says it will ramp up its policy adjustments and implement monetary policy in a, quote, precise and forceful manner after a quarterly meeting of its monetary policy committee. This is the central bank flagged increasing momentum, but said insufficient demand remains a key challenge. What a bit of respite, actually. Uh, China's economy uh, showed the first signs of a rebound in August, with industrial profits soaring more than 17% on the year. Uh, that reverses a declining uh, trend line, which has seen cumulative profits down almost 12% year to date. Well, let's get the details on all these stories. Delighted to say Sam joins us with more. Nice to see you, Sam. Nice to see you as well, Steve. It's funny because uh, Will Caloris and I were having a bit of a joke about this this morning. That it's a little bit like me saying that this hit that I'm giving you now is going to be 89% better than the previous hit that I gave you. But you have no way of proving that because you didn't actually publish the data. It's kind of like what we got from the Stats Bureau today because you mentioned we did get uh, that August reading of uh, plus 17.2% for profits of Chinese industrial firms. However, it's difficult to tell whether that comes off a low base because they didn't actually record the month-to-month data last year. So they only occasionally actually publish the standalone figures. So we're not dealing with any sort of comparative data. What we're hearing from the Stats Bureau is that this is the first sign of growth that we've seen since the second half of last year. And so that certainly is an encouraging sign. And we'll go with it because we have certainly started to see uh, signs of improvement in the August data. So that is very much consistent with the manufacturing data that we've got, uh, the PMI numbers certainly with the private factories, also with the industrial output that picked up more than expected at 4.5%. Even some of the exports, the contraction that we saw actually narrowed and some of the credit demand picking up as well. Then, of course, we got the year-to-date number, January to August, that period. So another double-digit decline, which uh, certainly uh, continues to show that profits are being squeezed, but uh, certainly uh, things are heading in the right direction because that that, uh, slump did start to ease from what we saw uh, the previous month. 
months of 15.5% of a drop. So in terms of the overall trend, things are improving. But uh, if you look under the hood, uh, things are still showing signs of persistent weakness, particularly when you look at the property sector, which of course is correlated closely with uh, the industrial sector. Um, But what this data did show us today was that around 30 out of 40 uh, of these sectors actually did start to see uh, margins improving in terms of their earnings. Um, Certainly when you look at raw materials, some of the the, the, the drops in some of the profits that we've seen did start to recover as we have started to see um, the commodity prices stabilising as well. Um, So certainly that's helped uh, lift market sentiment this morning in the morning trading session. Uh, We did see certainly a nice rebound for Chinese stocks and also uh, the currency as well. That was largely supported, as you say, by uh, the commentary coming out from the PBOC as well. Um, Sort of forceful monetary policy they're talking about to sort of tackle uh, the external environment, uh, which they have continued to say is complex and severe. We are, of course, in a shortened trading week, guys. We've got that extended mid-autumn festival, which is going to roll into the golden week. So trading is a bit thin on the ground, but no doubt investors will be watching that holiday as a barometer to see if we do continue to see some recovery, certainly in consumption, uh, moving into the fourth quarter. And then all eyes will certainly be on some of those big key policy meetings, October, November, uh, for signs of more policy signals to come. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.